So if you're new to this series, let me get you caught up real quick. We wanted to do a marriage series here at New Spring where we gave um, New Spring couples the opportunity to pick the topics. And we did that in kind of a creative way. We encouraged every couple at New Spring to take an online uh, assessment called the Deep Love Assessment that was developed by our friends, psychologist Les and Leslie Parrott. Um, and when they took that assessment, they would get this really nice report that tells them about their relationship and things they can do to move forward in that. But also, as a, as a, as a result of us doing it as a group, New Spring, we got an amazing aggregate anonymous report that told us about what are the top things that couples at New Spring want to work on. So that's what we did. We picked the top five things, and we've been working through them one at a time. Week one, we talked about conflict and especially about anger, how to manage your temper in the middle of difficult discussions. And then in week two, we talked about intimacy, both intimacy between you and your spouse and between the two of you and God. Then last week, we talked about finances, because as we said, finances are the number one thing that couples fight about in the United States, and also pretty much the number one conflict issue that came up on our specific group assessment. So if you missed that talk last week and you're married, you really need to go back and check that out online, because it was an exceptionally helpful talk my dad gave on managing our finances. Now, um, we're going to go to kind of a sensitive place, because it was very clear that couples at New Spring were saying, there is one area of our life that really needs some some work. We want to, you know, we want to develop this area of our life, and that is that we, we need better sex, you know? And not, what was clear from the report was couples were saying it's, it's not that we have big problems, but we just want it to be better. We want to take it to the next level. So we, as I said, we knew we were going to take the top five issues, whatever they happen to be, and this is one of them. So here we are. We're going to have this talk. I was, it's funny because my, my, um, I got a phone call yesterday, uh, about an hour and a half before the, before the message. And uh, I picked up the phone, didn't look at, at, at who was on the caller ID, just picked it up and answered it, and it was my grandma, who is, it's not polite to say what a lady's age is, but I will say she's been on this, this earth for more than nine decades. And she, she, she asked me what she always asks me uh, on a weekend when I'm speaking. She says, so what are you going to talk to us about? <laughs> and I kept trying to find an easy way to say this. There is none. I said, uh, Granny, I'm going to be talking to folks uh, about how to have great sex in marriage, about how to, how to you know, really tap into God's design for amazing sex. And I hear a little pause on the other end of the phone, and I think, what, am, what is my grandma going to say to me? And you know what she said? She's like, that's great. Let me pray for you. Do I not have the coolest grandma on the face of the planet? <laughs> But you know, the reason, the reason that it's okay for us to talk about sex in this environment is that God invented sex, and God planned for it to be something amazing and fulfilling and special. So, of all the places in all the world that sex gets discussed, it makes sense to me that we discuss it here because this is what God designed. This was his invention. Now, the world has done a lot of really goofy things with sex, but when it is in the zone, when it is what God designed it to be, it can be absolutely amazing. So um, I want to talk to you about, first off, what are the five goals that couples said they want? What are the five things that couples want to achieve in their relationship or things that they want to improve? Um, because the assessment asked that. What are the things that you most want to improve in your sex life? And I I know this is going to be a shocker to you, but men and women answered it differently. (laughs) One answer that we got agreement on. The the first one, that's why I made it purple, balanced sex drive. So at least we've got this. Ladies and men both said, this is one of our top goals. We would like to be on the same page, right? So that's good. But that is where the similarity stops, right? So then we get ladies saying, one of my main goals is romance, a little bit more romance in this area of our, of, of, of our life, and already I've got guys who are breaking out into hives in this room. 
Because they're saying, I've heard this before, and I don't know what to do with it. And now when we get in the car on the way home, my wife is going to tell me, see, I told you all women feel this way, right? <laughs> she will tell you that, but we're going to work on it. Um, so romance, guys, and this one is just a shocker to all of you, I'm sure. Guys said frequency. We want to work on the frequency of sex in our relationship. Um, ladies said communication. Want a little bit more open dialogue about, uh, about sex in our relationship. And then the final one, guys said spontaneity. So... Now, now, here's what I want to tell you out of the gate. I'm actually not even a little bit surprised by this list. Truth is, if you'd, if you'd asked me to predict uh, what the top five things would be on the list before I ever saw the aggregate report in, I probably would have... I probably would have hit most of these, and so would have you. Because these are pretty much the things that, that we know are just part of being in a couple's relationship that people tend to want to improve. Now, the thing about it is, I, I, I truly believe if we had tried to survey all of Kansas, um, not just this church, we probably would have gotten um, these five issues. Interestingly enough, we don't talk a lot about this in public. We don't, there, there's not, we don't just go around saying, gee, I want to work on the, you know, the, the spontaneity in our relationship. We have another term we use, right? We, we use this term in our culture. We say, we have problems in bed. I can't tell you how many couples have come to my office for couples coaching, and this is how they describe it. They say, we have problems in bed. And I always think, could you please be a little more vague for me, right? I, 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 for a long time, I really hated that phrase because first of all, I don't like vagueness. And second of all, I always felt like it was a cop-out. Like we're wanting to say our bed is the problem. I used to tell couples, I was a little facetious. I would say, I don't think you have furniture problems. I think you have relationship problems, right? It's not a bed thing. But now on this weekend in front of over 6,000 people this weekend, I have to admit I was wrong. Because did you know the Bible actually speaks to the bed in our relationship, the Bible talks about problems in bed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, here's what we need to do to work on problems in bed. I want to take you to a passage where the Apostle Paul, probably Hebrews is, we believe it's the Apostle Paul. Let me show you what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed, so if we have problems in bed, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Undefiled. So you may have a translation that says the marriage bed is to be kept pure or the marriage bed is to be kept clean, right? The, the, the key here is at first Paul's saying, look, you need to make sure that infidelity does not stain your sexual relationship. So that's a given. We want to say that it's very, very important that, that Paul is saying infidelity can absolutely wreck a sexual relationship. But it's bigger than that because God is telling us in this passage when he says the marriage bed is to be undefiled, and really we could, we could put the word pristine in there instead of undefiled. The marriage bed is to be pristine. What God is trying to tell us here is that great passion needs a great platform. That's why we, we use the phrase problems in bed. Instinctively, we know this. We know that great passion needs a great platform. And so as I was working on this message, I, and, and, and let me just interrupt a sentence here to say this. This will not be the normal talk that you hear from me or from my dad at New Spring. This is the closest thing I will ever do to marital coaching from the stage, and I hope you'll give me the liberty to handle it this way. I just wanna, I wanna share with you what I would share with a couple if I was talking to them about this, because what I wanted to do is I wanted to find what are the top three problems that couples have in bed, and it was even better than that, because as I began to work on this, I began to realize that just about everything that people brought to my office could fit into one of these three categories, and we're gonna go over that, but I gotta give you a disclaimer first. 
Some of you in this room are struggling with this area of your relationship because there's a physical illness or a physical difficulty or ailment, or there's an emotional illness or a trauma that you're working through. Um, I, I would not for a moment suggest that you apply what I'm going to talk about today unilaterally. Your situation is, is kind of special in that there's something outside of your control in this, and I really want to encourage you to reach out for help for that. You can reach out to our couples ministry, and we'll try to point you towards resources and experts who can help you with that. Similarly, some of you in this room are struggling in your relationship because there has been infidelity and there has been betrayal or there's sexual addiction, pornography, something that's playing at the fringes that's making this extra hard that you really don't have a lot of control over. If that's the case, again, I want you to know this is not me beating you over the head with here are three things you need to improve in your relationship because you're going against some exceptionally difficult stuff. Um, And please use us as a resource. We'd like to help you with that. But this is really mostly for those of us in this room that are not dealing with an illness and we're not dealing with betrayal. We just would like our sex life to be, uh, we'd like like it to be better. We would like it to be more intentional. And we want to be clear on how to do that. This talk is for you. Um, And so I want to just start working through these three problems because it's going to take us the whole time this morning to get through them. Here's problem number one. And this problem is especially true for for people in this room that are about my age, that have little kids at home, and, and it's probably true for all of us at some level, but if, you're, if, if, if you've got kids at home, please tune in right now because this is very important um, in your relationship. And that is that for many of us, there's simply no room for sex in our relationship. Wouldn't matter how wonderful our relationship is. Wouldn't matter how great the connection is. We don't have time. We don't have resources. We, don't, we haven't budgeted space in our relationship for sex. Right? And, and, and let, let me show you what I mean by that. When we talk about having problems in bed, then in the metaphorical bed, what I'm talking about having no space, it means that when you were to look at your metaphorical marriage bed, it would look something like this. Now, you know, if you walk into your bedroom and the bed looks like this, ain't nothing gonna happen on that bed. Fair? Right? You know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just too much junk on there for anything to happen. And, and for most of us, our marriage is so crowded by so many things, so many time hogs, so many resource hogs, that we don't know how to make room for the other person. And here's the interesting thing. I've worked with so many couples who've, who've said to me, you know, our, 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 our sexual relationship's kind of lost its spark and, and you know, I just really feel like it's not as special as it was and, and, and it's not as good as it was. And the thought is, and this is what they come in and they tell me, they, the thought is, if sex isn't what we want it to be, we need to add something. We need to add something. The phrase is this, I've heard it a million times, we've been trying to figure out how to spice up our passion, spice up our sex life, spice up our love life. Let me tell you something. If you spice this up, you're just going to get a big spicy mess. (laughs) See, the truth is most of us don't need to add something if we want to have great sex. The the truth is most of us are going to need to subtract some things because we got too much stuff going on in our lives. Let's let's play with this for a minute. Just Just as a way of just kind of workshopping this. And you can do this in your head with your own day. I'm going to just try to take an average day. I did a lot of research this week on, on the, the time drains in the average American's life. So, you know, you start your day off at 24 hours, and then let's, let's assume that you sleep for seven. Some of you, that would be wonderful if you could sleep for seven. Um, seven and a half actually should be the target, but let's just go with seven. Seven hours of sleep, nice round number. Um, and then nine hours of work. So you work an eight-hour day, you have some time in there for lunch, a little bit of commute time. So nine hours there. By the way, did you notice 16 hours of your day at that point are already spoken for. That's a big chunk of your day. 
Um, then let's say you get home from work, two hours for an evening meal, hang out with the kids, um, and then one hour for what I call must-dos. Got to get the oil changed on the car, got to go run to the store and get something, uh, got to get your hair cut, you know, whatever. You've just got stuff that's the maintenance of life. You got to get certain things done. So you got an hour for that. Um, and then the average adult American watches five hours of television a day. Five hours. I mean, that's unreal. Now, a lot of you are saying, I don't watch five hours of TV, but before we, before we take too much of a sigh of relief here, the average American also spends 1.5 hours on social media. And the experts tell us that as this number is going down, because it is, the average American is watching slightly less TV as we go forward, but they're adding more and more social media as they go up. And experts are telling us that in general, still, the average American is spending six and a half hours in front of some screen for entertainment value a day, right? So there you go, five, five hours for TV, an hour and a half for social media. Maybe those are, are, need a little adjusting for balance, but we're in the zone. And then let's say an hour for hobbies and leisure because you do need something in your life that energizes you um, that, so that you can kind of recharge your batteries and so forth. Unfortunately, our society, we tend to not be into hobbies and so forth as much, but, but let's, let's put it in there because it's a good thing to have there. How many of you who are really fast at math have already figured out that we're in a deficit situation already? Right? And not just a little deficit. We are two and a half hours in the hole. So if you're, if you're thinking, well, I don't watch five hours of TV. Maybe I only watch two or three hours. That's great, but you're still out of time. Right? And think about this. There is nothing on this chart. If you notice, there is no spouse time here. There is no date night. There's no hanging out with your spouse. There's no conversations. There's definitely no sex fitting in here. Right? And most of us are in a time deficit situation. See, this is why priorities are so important. If you can get everything done that you want to get done and that you need to get done in a day, then priorities don't matter because you're gonna get it all done. But the moment we start being in a deficit situation and you have more things to do than you have time to do them, priorities become very important because something's gonna fall off. And the question is, what's it gonna be? For most of us, we're comfortable with putting sex in the would-be nice category in our relationship. We say, you know, all these other things that are demands, the, the, the tyranny of the urgent, those are the musts, and sex is in the would-be-nice category. If sex is in the would-be-nice category, you should expect that it's almost always going to fall off. And it's not going to happen. And it's not just sex. I'm talking about special time for you and your spouse to connect. It's not going to happen. Most of us don't have time in the day for it to happen. Let me show you a passage that talks about this idea of priorities in marriage, and specifically, since we're in the zone of talking about sex, this is an area where this is being discussed in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs, and, and already I've got several guys in the room saying, hallelujah, preach it, pastor. I've been waiting for this passage to come up in church. Finally, it has happened, right? Um, but moving on to the next verse, okay? The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, if you're like me, and you have a strong sense of boundaries, and boundaries are very important to you, at first that verse may seem a little off-putting. The husband gives authority of his body to his wife, and the wife gives authority of her body to her husband. But honestly, if we try to really get the essence of what the author is saying there, if we look at the original language and really try to carry forward the intent here, probably the, the best way to put this, if we were to put it in our, in our t today's voice, we would say, the wife gives priority access over her body to her husband, and the husband gives priority access over his body to his wife. And like I said, this is a passage about sex, but it's even bigger than sex. 
Because what God is telling us is that a great marriage means that I give priority access to Wendy in pretty much every area of my life, and Wendy gives priority access to me. What that means is, in the list of things that, that sucks time out of my day, Wendy should be up at the top. Wendy should get the first portion. She shouldn't get the leftovers. And see, too many marriages are struggling because there's too much time and effort and resource leftovers that spouses are getting, and they know it. So at some point, we've got to decide, is it going to be priority? God's design for marriage, in general, is priority access. So let me ask you this question, just kind of taking this to a very practical place. Does, and then you can fill in the blank, whatever you think is crowding the bed in your relationship, does that thing have priority access, or does your spouse? Can I take this to kind of a sensitive place for a minute? How about your kids? Right? I talk to folks all the time who tell me, well, well, see, here's the deal. We got three kids, and each of those three kids has two sports, and they're in band, and they're, one of them's in ballet, and the other one is uh, in, um, in martial arts. And so kind of the way this works is we have about 25 things on our calendar every week that we have to make for these things, and my wife and I divide and conquer. I've heard this a million times. It's, we divide and conquer. So I go this way with the kids, and she goes this way with the kids, and we don't really see each other all week long, and then sometimes there's tournaments, and we don't see each other all weekend because I'm at a tournament in Kansas City, and she's at a tournament in Dallas. And, and, uh, but you know what? Here's the thing, and no joke, somebody told me this in my office just within the last six months. I had somebody tell me, I know that we're so busy right now with the kids, and their sports and everything else, but we'll have time for romance and sex once the kids grow up and move away. <laughs> you know, that's what we should be concerned about. We should be concerned about the fact that the kids are going to grow up and move away. See, if the kids become everything that our life is about, if all our life, all of our couple's relationship, our whole marriage is just about the kids, what happens when the kids do what kids are supposed to do, grow up and start a family of their own, and then it's just you and another person in the house that you never got to know because you were too busy going to practices? I know it's a sensitive place because we all want to be there for our kids, but we still have to ask ourselves the question, for the good of our kids, because a good marriage is a platform for a great parenting relationship. So we have to ask ourselves, do our kids have priority access? Or does our spouse? Maybe we got to get rid of a few practices. Maybe we got to say that not every extracurricular activity is absolutely crucial, right? Here's, here's one that's really dicey, and I've already kind of hinted at it. How about technology? Does technology have priority access or does your spouse? Guys in the room, and I, I wish I had the statistic going the other way, but right now the, the statistic was done with ladies. Ladies, 70% of ladies said that their husband's computer, phone, video games, television, their, their husband's technology is actively interfering in their marriage. They truly feel as though the technology is tanking elements of their relationship. And I can kind of get that. I can sort of understand that. Because when my wife comes into the room half the time, what she sees is this, right? I'm on the bed, on the faint glow of the computer screen, and I'm typing and typing and typing, and my wife's trying to talk to me, right? Now, the thing about it is, the male species, we've been given this gift by God, we know how to listen for the pauses. <laughs> so I'm typing, she's talking, I'm typing, she's talking, and I hear the pause, and you know what I say? That sounds great, sweetie. I'm for you, I'm behind you, 
I'm with you all the way, babe. Whatever you need to do, whatever you think is the, this one's the good one. Whatever you think, sweetie, because that works for whatever. Because if she says, don't you think this is the most terrible thing ever? If you say, whatever you think, sweetie, you're agreeing. And if she says, don't you think this thing is the most wonderful thing ever? You say, whatever you think, sweetie, and you're still agreeing. It's a great all-purpose thing. Problem is, this is not tremendously sexy. I mean, look at this view. You can see my bald spot and everything. (laughs) And this is all she sees. My husband, by the faint, dim glow of the computer screen. I, uh, I was working with a couple... Some time ago, I feel like this is, I, I, I don't really know at this point how long it's been, but it's been a little while. And this guy was wanting, to, wanting me to meet with him and his wife, and he was trying to, you know, run the advance appointment so he could get there and tell me exactly how to set his wife straight. So he comes in first. And he says, I need you to explain to my wife what the Bible says about how she's supposed to meet my sexual needs. And he said, because she never wants to have sex with me when I want to have sex. And I said, well, well, what do you think the challenge is? Well, she's always asleep when I want to have sex. I said, okay. Well, tell me about your average day. Well, you know, I work a regular, it's a nine to five kind of thing. And then I come home and I have dinner and, um, you know, and then I start playing video games. Okay. About what time do you start playing video games? I don't know, seven, seven thirty. Okay. When do you finish playing video games? Well, you know, not, I, I don't play all that long. Compared to some other people, I don't play all that long. Okay, well, how long is long? He said, well, you know, probably four out of seven nights of the week. I don't, you know, I don't play any longer than midnight, one o'clock. <laughs> well, I said, what about the other three? And he said, well, those three nights I'm playing with my buddies and we're online with each other and stuff. He said, that can, you know, that can go to two or three o'clock in the morning. And I said, so let me, just, just so I can understand, because I want to make sure I'm, I'm following here. You want me to meet with your wife and explain to her that she is not meeting your needs in a God-pleasing way because she won't wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and have sex with you after you're done playing video games with your friends. And he said, you've got it! <laughs> Boy, that's as close to certifiably crazy as I've come across in my time working with somebody at... You know, ultimately, at some point, we've got to decide, what do we want in the bedroom? Do we want passion or do we want electronics? Truthfully, I'm one of the worst offenders about this because I am, I, I am that person who's driven to make sure I get all my work stuff done. I, I have a real thing about emails. I feel like, you know, I want to try to make sure that everything is addressed, you know, and, and, and so it feels very easy to just go over to my bag and grab my laptop out and open it up and do work. I, after preaching the message last night, I, I recognized I was in my bedroom by the faint glow of my laptop. Again, I was doing what I just said I shouldn't be doing. It's so easy. But at some point, I've got to ask, what, what, what is it that we want in the bedroom? Do we want passion, or do we want the faint glow of a bunch of screens? We have to ask, does our work have priority access, or does our spouse, does our, do our friends have priority access, or do your spouse? I've, had, I've literally had people in my office say, I want my spouse to feel comfortable with me going and hanging out with friends of the opposite sex and not inviting them. I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know where to go with that. Your friends can't have priority access. Not if you want to have great passion in a relationship. Your spouse has to have priority access. That's the way it works. That's how God designed it. So at some point, we've got to, we've got to clean off the bed. That's the, that's the solution. If you've, got, if you've got no room in the bed, the first thing you've got to do, and I know this is, this is earth-shattering, we've got to make some room. And, and what I mean by that is we've got to budget a little bit, right? We talked last week about budgeting our, our, our money, but at a certain rate, we've got to start budgeting our, our, our time and our energy and our resources. 
I mean, some of the people I talk to say, I really would like for the sex in our relationship to be great, but by the time we get to that point, we're exhausted. I got a, a, a husband who's saying, I absolutely cannot get to bed unless I've tied up all the loose ends for work. I have to know that I haven't left anything for tomorrow for work that I could do today. Or I have a lady telling me, if I've got any laundry in the basket or if any of the surfaces on the counters are unclean in the kitchen, I can't, I can't feel okay. And so what we do is our perfectionist tendency pushes us to make everything perfect. And by the time we've made everything perfect, we haven't got any energy left. It's not even a matter of time. We're so zapped at that point. There's no way there could be any meaningful passion. So at some point, we're going to have to make some room for a quality sex life. Okay, it's getting real quiet in here. <laughs> Problem number two, and this one is... Uh, this one is the heaviest place that we'll probably go to today. This is the most sinister thing that I think, the, I said that there are three categories of problems in bed. This one is the one that I think is, can be most damaging. And this problem is this, that at some point, there's a wall that's grown up between the two of you. Now, what, what do I mean by a wall? I mean something has started to grow in between the two of you that is routinely and regularly disconnecting the two of you. See, marriage is a connected relationship. That's the way God designed it to be. God said in the Garden of Eden, it is not good for the man to be alone. Marriage is about connection. But at some point, things can grow up into our relationship that begin to, to put a divide between the two of us, and now connection can't happen. What we have is a state of ongoing disconnection. So when you crawl into bed at night, it's almost as though there, there may not really be a wall, but you can almost feel, it's almost palpable that there's, a, there's a, a, an icy concrete wall between the two of you. And as that goes on longer and longer, you begin to feel the hostility and the upset inside about that this isn't right. And we begin to put graffiti on our wall that says all the things that we, we don't feel good about in the relationship. And we begin to characterize the relationship in a very negative way. And the next thing you know, we are married on paper. We are married because we're in the same house and raising kids together. But in the bedroom, we might as well not be married. Basically, we've got two single people living on their own independent tracks. Let's, let's talk for a minute about being disconnected. What does that? How does a couple get disconnected? What puts up a wall between them? Well, I was really interested in this as a couples coach. I'd, for years, I'd been working with couples doing intensive coaching. And I tried to figure out what is it that disconnects couples. And so I, I took years and years of intake forms. At the time, I think I had about six years of intake forms. And I went through them, I processed them, and I did a factor analysis. I tried to figure out how much could I pare it down into the fewest number of categories possible. And here's what I found out. I found that there's a formula for connection, and if the formula is violated, then you get disconnected. Here you go, here's the formula for connection. And it's very simple, two things. Connection happens when there is value and understanding. If you feel valued by someone and understood by someone, you will feel connected to them. It's not even a matter of you'll have an opportunity to feel connected to them, it's almost magnetic. If somebody values you and understands you, you will find yourself getting sucked into a connection with them because when a person values you and understands you, they have just become indispensable to you because most people won't do that for you, right? This is what God designed marriage to be. God designed marriage for two people to value and understand the other person. What is the wall in your relationship? It could be a lot of things. I don't know what the specific wall is in your relationship, but this I do know. I know that the wall in your relationship is whatever it is that routinely makes the other person feel devalued and misunderstood. It could be a communication thing. It just could be a, 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 a behavior, a way of doing things, or it could be silence itself could be creating a wall. 
Here's what I want to tell you, and this may be one of the most important. If, if, if you think that you even have a little wall in your relationship, please tune into this right now. I, I, I want to tell you this because I'm, I'm, this, is, this is straightforward help for you right now. I want you to know you can't have the wall and great sex. You can't have the wall and great sex. You're going to have to pick. Which one do you want? You say, well, Jonathan, there have been walls in our relationship that would take quite a while to dismantle. I know. But I'm saying if you want great sex, you're going to have to start working on it. As a matter of fact, what, what I'm saying is that if you, really want, if you really want greater passion, you're going to have to invest in taking that wall down. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. And this is, I'm, I'm, I want to I tell you this quickly, and I'm saying this in kind of a clumsy way. It's not just about figuring out the wall that's in between us. How do we make that go away? It's about being the kind of person that does not put up walls. It's about being the kind of person who routinely and regularly keeps things open and healthy between you and your spouse. And here's the cool thing. God gave us the formula for that. Let me take you back to Genesis 2. This is in the middle of when God is, is um, creating the earth, and at each point he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Only at one point does God say something is not good, and that's when he says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And that word helper could be um, Adam was Eve's helper, Eve was Adam's helper. This, this goes both ways. But the word helper there is very important. In English, we just don't, it doesn't carry forward the power of what's being said here. That word in Hebrew there for helper is actually used other places in the Old Testament Testament to, to describe God. It means both a companion, somebody who goes alongside you in life, and somebody who is your hero, somebody who will be there for you, somebody who has your back, somebody who supports you no matter what you go through. So what God has called you to be for your spouse is a companion hero. And if you really want to take the walls down in your relationship, it's not just about how do we make this one problem go away. It's about how do I learn how to be a companion hero for my spouse, somebody that they know will be there for them and has their back. Solution number two, I hate to pull a Ronald Reagan on you, but the solution number two is tear down that wall. You know, time to, time to take it down. And, it's, and it, may, it may include some real work. You may have to go see a Christian counselor. You may have to, to read some books. You may have to look at some resources. And for one thing, I can promise you this, it's gonna take some work and it's gonna take some time. I have not worked with any couple who took a major wall down without it taking a big investment in time and a big investment of their energy and resources. But I promise you, it's worth it because you can't have the wall and great sex at the same time. Okay, now we're to problem number three. And on this one, um, I really want to get all the guys online with me. So if you're in this room and you're of the male species and you checked out at some point in the last you know, 30 minutes, I need you back online right now because this is both the thing that I think guys need to hear the most, including the one standing in front of you, and the thing that could absolutely catapult your sexual relationship in a positive direction. So stay with me, guys. This one is especially for us, but it, it, it goes across the board. But um, here we go. Problem number three is this. The bed's not made. Even if there's no wall, and even if you've got time, and you've got energy, there's still a problem when there is no stage set for great passion, right? I mean, you know, there's a difference between walking with your, you know, new bride into your, you know, honeymoon suite and seeing the beautiful crisp linens and everything being perfect, and then when you walk into your bedroom after 10 years of marriage and it looks like this. You know, it's just different. It's not as attractive, you know? And that's the thing, here's the deal. There's a reason, and we're going to get to this in a second, there's a reason why for a lady, whether, no matter how much she loves you, 
Seriously, there's no, no matter how much she loves you, there's a reason why being with you sexually needs to be attractive to her ahead of time. Right? Most guys in the room, you're like, it's always attractive to me. I'm, I'm ready. Sign me up anytime. But ladies, there has to be a reason for it to be attractive ahead of time. And I'm going to show you why in just a second. But the key here is this. If we want to have great passion, the bed has got to be made. We've got to do something intentional to make that happen. And by the way, we could go back to our original passage where the Bible says the marriage bed is to be undefiled. The marriage bed is to be pristine. There needs to be a great platform for great passion. And we could say it this way. We could say that great sex requires investment. It requires investment. And, and, and I'd love to show you just really quickly something that Jesus said about investment that kind of helps make this make sense. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires or the passion of your heart will also be. Here's what Jesus is telling us. Your passion will always follow your investment. Always, always, without exception, your passion follows your investment and your spouse knows this. Guys, listen to me. I'm not picking on you, but this is, really, this is really stuff you need to hear. Your wife does not need to know that you're passionate about sex. Your wife will not respond warmly if, if what she gets is that you're passionate about sex. She needs to know that you are passionate about her, which is a completely different thing. She knows that where your investment is, that's where your passion is. So she knows if you're investing in her, and if she feels cherished by you, and that's an important word, if she feels cherished by you, then she knows you're not just passionate about having sex, you're passionate about being with her. Let me, let me show you something, and if actually, guys especially, and I know it sounds like I'm picking on you, if you only remember one thing from this entire talk, I want you to remember this. Because this is what we've learned from sociologists and psychologists and people who are a lot smarter than me that have studied this. This is what they found out. They found out that for, for men, sex is like the doorway to connection. Right? So men have sex because they want to feel connected, and it works. It's one of the reasons why ladies will tell me my, my husband never says much to me, and then we have sex, and I can't shut him up. Because sex for guys tends to be kind of like a doorway to connection. But this is what I really want you to get. For women, it's very different. For women, sex is the destination of connection. Ladies have sex because they feel connected, not to feel connected. So that means that ahead of having sex, your wife needs to feel connected to you. That's why I'm saying it needs to feel attractive. It's because she needs to know that she's connected to you ahead of time. It will not work for her to have sex to connect to you. It won't, it won't work that way for her because we're designed differently by God. I had a, a person in my office lately of, of the male species who said this to me. He said, my wife never initiates. And he was really bummed by that. And, and I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. I said, um, tell me a little bit about your relationship. And as, very quickly, as he began to discuss this with me, I realized his wife's been initiating for years and he's just been missing it. It's going right over his head, right? Because ladies initiate by trying to connect because that's the beginning of the process for them. Connection is the beginning of the process. So they initiate by trying to connect and he's missing it. It's like when they talk about their day because I asked him about that. What happens when you guys talk about your day? You come home from work and you talk about it. And, and because, let, me, let me break a sentence there. Because you realize that men and women recap their days differently. Have you noticed this? Guys, we're, we're, we're like CDs, you know? We can skip to the salient track, press play, and there's not a lot on the track either, right? So my wife can ask me, how was your day? And I skipped to the right track, and I, it was fine. And what, was, what was it like when you uh, got your car worked on today? I skipped to that track. It was fine. Nothing major, nothing major was wrong. Got my tires rotated. That's all I got in there. That's all that's going on up in there right now, you know? Um, my wife, on the other hand, ladies are different. Ladies, if guys are like CDs, ladies are like reel-to-reel. It's all in order, and in order to get to one point, you gotta go through all the rest of the stuff to get there. It's all in chronological order. 
and it's in story form because ladies are great storytellers. And they're going to give you the whole story with the dialogue, right, to tell you exactly what each person said. You're not going to get the summary. You're going to get the dialogue. And if you're really lucky, she's going to give you the voices. She'll, she'll act out the voices so she, you can tell who is the hero and who is the villain of this story, right? You can really get that. And when this lady is telling her husband this, the guy I've got in my office who says she never initiates, when this lady is telling her husband this, you know what he does? He just glazes. That's a lot of information for me right now, you know? Um, He doesn't realize this is foreplay, right? Because what she's doing, right? Guys, seriously, if your wife does this and she tells you these stories and she gives you all this detail, what you need to understand is she's not doing this because she's going to quiz you later. She's doing this because you weren't there for her day And she's literally trying to pick you up and inject you into her day. She's trying to help you experience her day so it's almost like you were there with her as a means of connecting. But for those of us guys who just sort of glaze, right, we've missed that opportunity and it shuts it down. For every one of you guys in this room that at some point you've reached out to your wife because you wanted to connect with her and so you reached out for an embrace or a hug and you sort of felt her turn away from you and you felt the sort of rejection that that felt like. When he glazes like that, that's what she's feeling. Because she's trying to connect with him and he's shutting it down. He says, my wife never initiates. Right, another guy, and I actually didn't have this in my original slides but I had to add it because, uh, I, anyhow. So this is, an, another guy told me this. Um, my wife isn't interested in sex, she's only interested in together time. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> what kind of time were you thinking sex was going to be? Uh, yeah. So solution number three, if the bed's not made, and I know this is just, you know, earth-shattering rocket science, make the bed. Make the bed, right? There's got to be some investment. There's got to be some intentionality. It, sex, great sex, the biggest myth about great sex is that it just happens. It doesn't just happen. Great sex is something that has to be prepared for. There has to be some intentionality. There's got to be some investment in there. And it, and it has to be on both sides. We know from research that, that guys connect best and they feel invested in. They feel like their wife is passionate about them when, when their wives participate in shoulder-to-shoulder activities with them, when they do things together, activities that their husband enjoys, when, when they participate in that, guys feel invested in, they feel that their wife is passionate about them. Ladies very much feel um, invested in when their husband does something that proves that he cherishes her, something that shows her value that, you know, something that her friends can see or she can see or the family can see that says, hey, this woman is valued more than anything in my life, right? So what you got to do is make some time to make the bed. You got to figure out what am I going to do to make sex and passion, and together time, attractive in this relationship. And I'm going to give you a tip on how to do that. So I have two daughters. Um, One is eight and one is 13. And so I recognize that, you know, now it won't be too long from now that my eldest daughter will be bringing home some hairy-legged, ugly boy that I just don't have any affinity for. I'm going to have to make nice to and, and act like I like the guy. So... You know, I've started thinking about being a dad of kids that are of dating age. And it reminded me of when I was dating years ago. Because every time, every time I would be in a dating relationship, I would try to be careful about doing things that weren't technically wrong, but that might lead somewhere. Because my parents taught me that. 
You know, my dad said, Jonathan, there's some things that you can do that aren't technically sexual, but they're not wise. You shouldn't do them because they might lead somewhere. Things that I would feel uncomfortable with my daughter doing with a boyfriend because I just know uh, that's, that's pretty close to the line. Here's what I'm worried about. Once we put wedding rings on fingers and we sign the documents, why is it that those things go away? Why is it that the things that lead somewhere are suddenly just out of, the, out of the question? I mean, most of us, our flirting gear has been out of commission for a long time. And we, we haven't flirted with our spouse in a long time. We'd have to like, get that gear repaired before we could do something with it and shift into it. But I'm talking about what about those things that are not, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. Let me, we're, we're almost done here, but let me give you this as a, as a thought. The statisticians tell us that in general, for most Americans, 99% of your life is going to be not having sex. 1% of your life is going to be maybe somewhere in that zone, maybe a little less, having sex. So if, or, and, and, and again, I mean you're weak now, not your entire life. But I'm just saying if you take your week and divide it, 1%, 99% is pretty close. So what happens in a relationship where the 99% is completely non-sexual? We don't put our arm around the other person. We don't hold hands with the other person. We're, we're, we're not making sure that the first thing that we do when we're around the other person is to show them that we want to embrace them and kiss them and say, it's so good to see you. What's happening when, when all of the rest of our relationship is non-sexual and then we try to make that 1% really amazing? It's whiplash. It's whiplash. At some point, we have to decide, what am I going to do to set the stage for amazing sex in this relationship? Okay, so I told you this talk was going to be kind of like marriage coaching from the stage. And when I do marriage coaching, I assign homework. Sorry. So if you're in this room and you're married, I would love it if you would allow me to. I would love to assign you some homework. So if you've got a piece of paper you can take out, a pencil, pen, mascara, whatever. Um, I'm going to give you a little list here of things that I would like you to do. I want you to examine... What about the platform for passion in our relationship? What's the bed look like in our relationship? And I want you to ask your spouse three questions. One is I want you to ask them, do you think there's room for great passion in our relationship? And if they say, not really, then ask them, what do you think it is that's crowding it out? And then, then reduce and refine, right? Whenever you've got too much of something in your life, those are the things you do. Reduce what's reducible, and refine what's clumsy. Maybe we've got some clumsy use of time, we're gonna refine it. Maybe there's some things that are in our life that we just need to get rid of. All right, we'll reduce those things. But that's the way that you make room, so that's what you need to do. Ask, is, is there room for great passion? If not, what do you think's crowding it out? And then if you have that answer, make a choice to reduce and refine. Okay, the second thing is, ask your spouse, do you think there are any walls between us? And give them an opportunity to tell you what they think those walls are. You might, you might find out something. You know, when, 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 when Wendy and I do work with couples, we teach them to ask the other person, how's your view? And it stands for that value and understanding thing I said earlier. To ask your spouse, on a scale of one to 10, how valued do you feel in this relationship? On a scale of one to 10, how understood do you feel in this relationship? Believe me, that'll get you understanding really quickly the status. Are there walls up or are there not? And then the third thing is this. Ask your spouse, what can I do to make the bed in this relationship? What can I do to set the stage for great passion? Again, we believe that God designed this and he designed it for our good and for his glory. So we wanna get the most out of what God has given us in marriage. And in order to do that, we've gotta make sure that the marriage bed is pristine.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about your design for great passion. I pray that it will be helpful for every couple that's here and for um, the most important thoughts to be memorable um, for each couple so they'll know what to do as they go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. Next week we talk about stress.